It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, everybody. Welcome in to the Locked On Orioles Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. We got a little bit of a longer episode today as today starts the Locked On Podcast Network AL East crossover preview episodes. And today our preview is with the Tampa Bay Rays and the host of Locked On Rays, Kevin Weiss. So we will get right to it here on the pod. Kevin Weiss and I, a little back and forth crossover episode as we preview the Orioles and the Rays here on the Locked On Orioles podcast. All right, so our crossover episode... Connor Newcomb, Kevin Weiss here from Locked On Orioles and Locked On Rays as we'll get you some info on a couple of AL East foes and two teams trending in completely different directions. So uh, I think, Kevin, you know, we'll maybe let you talk about the Rays a little bit more just because a much more exciting team, but but division foes that'll match up 19 times this year. Yeah, I didn't want to say it because I wanted to be nice, but yeah, it does seem like the the Rays and the Orioles are at opposite ends of the spectrum. And I, I wanted to actually throw this out at you, um, considering that obviously you cover the Orioles on a day-by-day basis. Um, Fangraphs projects them to win 61 games this year. I didn't know if you thought that that was too low or too high. Yeah, it, it's interesting because I think the Vegas number was 55 and a half for the over under. Um, and I actually had mentioned it in an episode a couple weeks ago. Um, it was actually a, a, a question we took in a mailbag episode. Um, and I said under the 55 and a half. Um, reason being, I mean, if you look at the Orioles and, and you just want to look at it like this, they're, they're top six guys in war from last year. Three of them are no longer on the team and they really haven't added anyone who's going to slot back into that top six. Andrew Kashner and Dylan Bundy were number two and three in war among pitchers. They're both gone. And then Jonathan VR was number one in war among hitters, actually surprisingly above Trey Mancini. They traded him to the Marlins for basically nothing. So to me, I mean, this team, you know, the young guys could come up at some point this year, maybe provide a spark. And I think the 55-56 is a little more, you know, you could say it maybe goes over. But 61 just seems like a lot for this roster right now. Wow. Wow. So are Orioles fans and the 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 fan base in general, are they not, like, confident that Alex Cobb can make a comeback? Of course, former Ray, and he's had kind of a rough go of it since signing that, that huge deal with the Orioles. I mean, it, it seems like – as confidence just kind of waned on this guy that he's never going to get it together or just what's your feeling on that? Well, a lot of it has to do with the fact that we basically didn't see him pitch last year. Um, He started three games at the beginning of the season and he was really bad. And of course we found out the reason he was really bad is he was not healthy whatsoever. Um, And then he missed the rest of the season. And, you know, his, his 2018 with the Orioles was, was okay. A four nine Oh ERA. He did throw 152 innings. The thing about Cobb at this point, you just feel like where the Orioles are and what he's been in his career. Yes, you'd love him to make his way back to, you know, 2013, 2014 Alex Cobb. That'd be phenomenal. But I think the Orioles just want him to get back and throw 150 innings again. And I don't really think fans, you know, they know what's going on. And 
And, you know, I think they'd be okay if his ERA is up at 4-9 again, if he can just stay healthy the entire season. It's kind of where things are at at this point. Right, right. Yeah, because he's he's still he still is very popular among Rays fans, but I could see where Orioles fans have a little bit of a different feeling. Moreover, I think Rays fans, I don't want to say they they root for a guy to not be successful and to be injured all the time, but the fact that he's not really helping the Orioles at this point probably makes things, I don't know, maybe a little bit sweeter for the Rays fans. We're very uh, we're a very selfish bunch, I'll just say that. I mean, listen, Alex Cobb could have a Cy Young-style season and it still wouldn't get the Orioles to the playoffs with the rest of this roster, so... Yeah, it, I can it could that. hurt the Rays, though. That is true. That is true. So now another question I had, Chris Davis, is is he really on this like comeback tour, comeback campaign? Is is he going to be better than batting? I don't know, 170 or or whatever it was the past couple of seasons. I mean, there, I see all these like news articles that he's he's found his stroke back, but I, I'm still a little bit skeptical, if you ask me. Well, he's played about six spring training games and and yes he's hit the ball well um he put on 25 pounds in the offseason because he said he he didn't have enough strength last year he felt like he wasn't as strong as he was back when he was hitting you know in the high 40s and low 50s and homers for a couple years I mean last year was was obviously a disaster he hit 179 you felt like he struck out pretty much every time he came to the plate um and he, he played in 105 games last year I guess it would be nice if if his bat is back some, then it becomes a little bit of a different issue for Orioles fans, as as we've talked about on, on our podcast a lot, where this will be the first year where Chris Davis would actually be blocking a prospect um, as Ryan Mountcastle, one of the Orioles' top five guys, is going to be ready to go in 2020. Not a great defender, so he's either going to be stuck out in left field, play first base, or be the DH. And at some point, Chris Davis will be blocking him from at-bats. So unless Davis, you know, goes back into 50 homer mode, if he kind of middles back to league average again, it almost might block some prospects and could actually be worse than him, you know, hitting 160 again this season. Wow. That was my other question, too, is, again, we don't, I mean, from a Rays point of view, we know who our prospects are. And we know who some of like the top prospects are throughout baseball, but we don't really have a a clear look at who the Orioles guys are outside of Adley Rushman, of course. But like, are are there who are some of the guys that we should know about this season that that might get the call up? I know, like, I read somewhere that half of the Orioles' top thirty prospects could get a look at the big league club this season. I don't know how accurate you think that is or or who some of the guys are just absolute locks to to finally get that call and and to start this youth movement and this this makeover for that franchise. Yeah, so in twenty twenty, um you will see Ryan Mountcastle. Um he was the MVP um in his triple A league with the Norfolk Tides last year. Um, he's going to hit some home runs. He's not going to play great defense. They're going to have to find somewhere for him to play because they already have a couple guys who are just DHs, uh, but they'll figure that out. If he can hit, he's going to be there and he's going to be there um, from a hitting perspective. Mountcastle's kind of the, the soonest guy who outside chance he could break spring training with the team, but probably more likely a, a June or July call up. Um, other than him, use Neil Diaz, who was the, uh, top piece in the Manny Machado trade that they got back from the Dodgers a couple years ago. Um, an outfielder who dealt with some injuries last year. Uh, he spent most of the year in double A, 
but he should be ready for the big leagues this year. Also a guy who has an outside chance of making the opening day roster, but Diaz, a power hitter who plays better defense than Mount Castle and can actually play in the outfield. Um, and they're really excited about him. And then I'm sure Rays fans have seen some of him in t- 2017 and then last year, but Austin Hayes, who came up at the end of last season and played center field, he was kind of for the last couple years, you know, the guy who was going to come up and replace Adam Jones. Um, and, and the hope is that that will happen. Hayes will be on the opening day roster um, and should be the, the starting center fielder. Pitching wise on the other side of that, um, the Orioles pitchers are are probably more than than a year away. Really, the top guys that they want. You could see Keegan Aiken up this year. He's the number eleven prospect, a left-hander who was in AAA last year. But the guys you're going to want to look out for for the Orioles in the next couple of years: Grayson Rodriguez and DL Hall. They are the 2017 and 18 first round picks. Uh, both of them, it felt like struck out every hitter they faced down in Single A last year. Both could be in Double A this year and both could be 2021 Orioles. So that's kind of when really next season is when those prospects will really probably start to come up and blossom for Baltimore. But uh, kind of going off of that, you know, the Rays seem to just call up guys at will to come up and produce. And it almost seems for Tampa, you know, they have, you know, the Wanda Franco's of the world, but usually it seems like prospects who not everyone sees coming, they come up and produce. So do the Rays have those guys coming in 2020? They do. It is interesting because right now it seems like um, it's almost like you've got guys that are so close to the big league level, but then again, the team is so, I don't want to brag, but they're pretty stacked depth wise that it's going to take a couple of injuries for them to get the call. I mean, right now we're talking about Randy Rosarina who got a cup of coffee with the Cardinals last year and was acquired in the Jose Martinez deal. Um, and he might start the season at AAA, even though last season in AAA, he batted like 350 with the Memphis Redbirds. And right now in spring training, and I know it's only spring training, he's got like a 583 batting average. Every time he comes to the plate, it seems like he's getting a hit. And he's, of course, a center fielder, can also play corner outfield, but he's blocked, it seems right now, by Kevin Kiermeyer and Manny Margot and definitely some others. I mean, you've got Austin Meadows, you've got, Yoshi Sutsugo, you've got Hunter Renfro. I mean, there's so many. I mean, there's a glut of outfielders too. So it's like, I, I think that next guy definitely is Randy Arozarena. And then after him, there's some names like a, you might hear from a Kevin Padlow, uh, say if there's an injury at third base, he's kind of a, a guy who um, is more of an under the radar prospect, but that hits very well and hit very well in AAA last season. Sort of a, a Mike Brousseau type who was, he was actually undrafted uh, Mike Brousseau, he was undrafted uh, out of college and he, he battled and clawed his way to the big leagues and with, with little fair, fanfare. And that's kind of the, the same impression I get from a guy like Kevin Padlow. So those are probably the two guys. In fact, there's, I, you know, everybody talks about Wander Franco, but uh, my co-host and I, Ulysses Zambrano, we, we really don't think he's going to get the call this year because you've got the, uh, you've got the shrinkage of the 40 man roster, the 28 man roster in September. Um, and the Rays don't want to waste a year just to call him up for the sake of calling him up. And he's still only 19 years old, still hasn't made it to double a ball yet. So I think fans are kind of getting their hopes up a little bit in that regard, but yeah, I mean, there's going to be some guys that aren't necessarily 
that are like donning the the top prospect list, you might have to wait to hear from those guys in a year or two, like a Vidal Brujan or a Lucius Fox or, or guys of that elk. Maybe a, 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 on the pitching side of things, a guy to maybe watch out for is Phoenix Sanders, um, who's more of a, a relief pitcher type, I think, probably profiles up as a reliever in the big leagues. He actually um, played his college ball at the University of South Florida in Tampa. So he's kind of a hometown kid, but um, he's gotten rave reviews so far in spring training. So those are probably a couple of the guys that you might hear from before you hear from some of the bigger names like a Wander Franco and, and some of the others on that list. Do you hate stepping on the scale? Maybe it's because you haven't met the right one. A company called Withings produced the world's first smart scale, and they are still the best. In fact, Tom's Guide rated Withings Body Plus the best overall smart scale in 2020. If you're looking to lose weight, willpower is key, but so is having the right tools. Withings smart scales are known for durability and an exceptional user-friendly design. Step on and data from every weigh-in syncs automatically to the free app for iOS and Android via Wi-Fi or Bluetooth. Lots of smart scales don't have the Wi-Fi option, and it means you need to have your phone on you. But Withings Body Plus gives weight, full body composition, weight trend, even a local weather report. The scale can support up to eight users and even know who is who. So here's the deal. You can get 25% off a Withings Body Plus right now at withings.com for a very limited time. Go to withings.com, that's W-I-T-H-I-N-G-S dot com backslash MLB to get 25% off body plus body composition scale. That's W-I-T-H-I-N-G-S dot com backslash MLB to get 25% off body plus body composition scale. So obviously, you know, it's it's exciting to see a guy like Wander Franco maybe get up there. But for Orioles fans, it's it's much more about the prospects. For Rays fans, it's about the big leagues. It's about getting back to the playoffs where they got last year. And of course, winning the wild card game, losing in five in the ALDS to the uh, Astros. And maybe if we should vacate all those wins and the Rays should mm-hmm. have been in the ALCS, but that's a whole nother story. Um, but I want to start with you with the Rays pitching because this is my favorite pitching staff in all of baseball because of all the situations everybody can be used in. And now obviously the Rays started the whole opener trend and other teams have, have used it. The Orioles used it a little bit, but I look at this team now and between Blake Snell, Charlie Morton, Brendan McKay and Tyler glass. Now you have four guys who have either won a Cy Young or still could win a Cy Young in the next couple of years. So does that take away at all from how often they will use the opener in 2020? I think that's the idea. I think if assuming everybody stays healthy, I do think you'll you you'll see less of the opener. I mean, some of that was just a byproduct of they didn't have as much faith in their number four and five starters at the time, Yanni Torinos and Ryan Yarbo, but they've proved that they can handle that role and handle that role very well. Um, so I, I do think you won't see as much of the opener this year. Um, but it is, it's very exciting to see how deep this pitching staff is and could be. I mean, um, we, we've got to remember that last year as the Rays were in the playoff chase, um, they really, it it was Charlie Morton and Ryan Yarbrough. Those were the only two starters, the only two regular starters that were healthy. Blake Snell was on the mend. Tyler Glasnow was on the mend. Yanni Chirinos was on the men. Brendan McKay didn't really have a very good rookie year. Technically, I, I don't think he 
he pitched enough innings to be considered a rookie, but he had a couple initial good starts and kind of fell off after that and was mainly used in a long relief role from there. Um, but to see what, how he developed in the off season to see if maybe he's got an out pitch and, and can work a little bit on tricking hitters a little bit more because he's so good at throwing strikes and has so much command that hitters almost know, okay, every time he throws, it's going to be in the strike zone. So I've, I've got a shot to swing at it, but yeah, th this, I mean, you can put this pitching staff in this bullpen pretty much up against any team. And I think they would do very well. And we have to remember too, that, you know, Blake Snell had, he didn't have a very good season last year. And if he, if he kind of splits the difference between his 2018 Cy Young year and, and what happened last year, I mean, you've got, it's, it's sort of a murderer's row as far as what you have pitching wise. So Rays fans are, are definitely, definitely pumped about the prospect of, um, of having all those guys back and all those guys healthy. Now we know that Blake Snell has, uh, Last week he had a cortisone shot in his elbow, but he's back on the bullpen and he seems to be, uh, or he he made a uh, bullpen appearance and he seems to be, uh, I guess I don't want to say rehabbing, but he seems to be working to being ready for the first week of the season. I don't think he's going to be the opening day starter, but I don't think he's going to miss any significant time. As you know, there's still questions about Chris Sale and and. Uh, and some other guys throughout the division. Um, so it's, I mean, there's a lot of Rays fans out there that think that this team has a shot to not just compete with the Yankees, but maybe even overtake the Yankees in the AL East this year. And uh, it is on the flip side for the Orioles, because obviously that Rays team, a, a fantastic amount of starting pitching and bullpen and listen they, they they trade their closer Emilio Pagan but they have four guys who could probably step in Alvarado Nick Anderson Diego Castillo any of those guys could could fill into that role this year but if you if you kind of flip to Baltimore um, it's them digging for for starting pitchers um, at this point if I had to guess the starting five rotation wise to start the year I mean, John Means will start opening day. He mm -hmm. was the Orioles' only all-star last year, the left-hander. Then it, probably Alex Cobb, as long as he's 100% healthy, goes game two. Asher Wojciechowski, who the Orioles got on waivers last year and was was pretty competent at the big league level, would go game three. And then after that, for the Orioles, I mean, it becomes tough to try and figure out who's your four and five starters they got Cole Stewart, formerly of Minnesota. He's a, a potential answer. Um, David Hess, who started some games last year, maybe is your number five guy. But uh, it's kind of barren as far as starting pitching goes. And and from a Rays perspective, that has to sound a, a lot different than it than it looks in Tampa Bay as far as a starting rotation goes. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I mean, the Rays and I'm sure the Yankees are kind of licking their chops every time the fa they face the Orioles. Although there's, I mean, even last year, the Rays did, um, they struggled against a team like the Blue Jays. So you never know. Sometimes they they play down to their competition a little bit. So that might be something where the Orioles might steal a few games. And that's one of, that, that's kind of my, uh, another one of my questions that I have is, okay, you, you kind of mentioned that you're seeing somewhere around 55 or so wins that that's what you're looking at. How much of a timeline do we see 
or do you see before the Orioles can be competitive or be a 500 team or somewhere around that range? Is this a three-year plan, a five-year plan, a seven-year plan, a 10-year plan? I mean, what what is the front office thinking with all this? So the way I see it, 2020, no question, another big-time losing season. 2021, you start to get the prospects up. You get their feet wet at the major league level, especially the younger guys. You maybe win some more games, but you're not competing yet. My thought is 2022, if all goes right, is the first year where they could potentially compete for something. Now, the reason I might say 2023, it would take until the Orioles are, you know, a team where you can look at the roster up and down and say, hey, you know what? Maybe they can get to the wildcard game this year. Maybe they can, you know, compete like they were doing a few years ago. The reason I say 2023 is because, and and this is, uh, this hurts Orioles fans, but we have to remember it pretty much every day. It's the Chris Davis giant contract runs out at the end of 2022. And I just feel like 2023 will be kind of a new start and the prospects will all be ready. They'll have some money to maybe pay some free agents. So I think if you're, if you're another team in the division thinking about when will the Orioles compete, when do we have to worry about them again? I think best case is 22, but I think you're looking at 2023, which means couple more years of suffering for Baltimore fans. Okay. I see. Now, now speaking of this year, in your opinion, do you think Trey Mancini will finish the year in an Orioles uniform Rays fan? I mean, just from my perspective, we're big fans of Trey Mancini. Um, He's kind of a central Florida guy. So there's, there's that tie in not to mention his heating ability, but I, I know there's been rumors and talks about the Orioles at some point, maybe, parting ways with them or trying to get some kind of haul what's kind of your sense with all that yeah so he's he's uh he's an oriole under contract through 2022 uh, before he would become a free agent for the first time so if they were to trade him at the deadline uh, it would be for two and a half years of trey mancini and you mentioned the rays those are the kind of deals the rays do when they go and get players you know not half a season guy they go for guys who they can keep for a little longer if i had to guess I would say Trey Mancini is an Oriole through 2020. And I would say my guess is if he's traded, it would be next offseason. Now, it's just a guess. There's not a whole lot behind that. He did want to be in Baltimore last year. He was pretty outwardly happy. Now, I know you have to do this, but it was kind of to another level than even some other players. Happy that he was not traded at the deadline last year. Um, I think maybe he wants to there's something in him that wants to see out this rebuild um, because there's a lot of exciting younger guys, obviously, you know, down in the minors with the Orioles and, you know, Baltimore has been great to him that they brought him up and, and kind of gave him a taste in 2016 and then said, Hey, you know, you're going to be a big part of our lineup 2017 on. And uh, they've been great to him. They've, they've let him, you know, play the field, play first base, play some outfield. Uh, he's been in the middle of their lineup for three years now and he, he seems to enjoy being an Oriole. And I think Trey Mancini would love if by the time he became a free agent, he was still an Oriole. They were starting to compete again, and he could sign a long-term deal with Baltimore. I don't know if that's going to happen, though. And I think if Mancini hits this season like he did last season, someone's going to come calling next offseason with a deal they can't turn down. And I think that is maybe why I think he's got one season left in Oriole uniform. Interesting. Interesting. One last question that I have from an Orioles perspective, and then you can fire any more that you've got about the Rays. Um, 
is who's one guy you think that will surprise folks this year in a good way, in a positive way? Yeah, so last year, you know, there were actually a lot of guys on the Orioles who surprised in a positive way, and I think that's because there were zero expectations whatsoever. Um, when you look at last season, Hanser Alberto hit 400 against lefties. They basically couldn't get him out. He was setting records against left-handers. Uh, Renato Nunez hit 31 home runs. Um, I don't think anyone had heard of him before last season. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Anthony Santander had a good year as well. The guy I think who's going to kind of break out, and I don't know how surprising it would be because he was somewhat of a highly rated prospect but struggled with injury, but Austin Hayes, who I mentioned earlier, he'll be the opening day starting center fielder. He's a fantastic defender, really good hitter, looked good last September when he kind of got the full call up for the rest of the year. Um, And he's a guy who has just ignited the team a little bit at the end of last year, brings a lot of energy, um, and he's a really good bat from the right side. And obviously you can stick him in center every single day. I think he could be a guy who potentially hits around 300, can hit 25 to 30 homers. And he's a guy I think you could see the Orioles trying to lock up extension wise, maybe next off season. Interesting. I will note he is another central Florida guy. Just saying that that's a couple of guys that the Orioles have in their pocket between uh, him and Trey Mancini. So I'm just going to throw out some more central Florida love if I can. There you go. Um, but for you guys on the Rays side, you know, we talked pitching, but but Tampa's got a plethora of of guys, you know, in that lineup. And first I want to ask, you know, how much does does the loss of Tommy Pham hurt and what they've gotten back in this offseason? Where do they replace that? You know, initially, um, I actually was on board with the move, but my co-host was pretty against it because he was a big fan of Tommy Pham because um, he was one of the few guys that actually had a really good on-base percentage and um, played through injury, brought a toughness and intensity factor that uh, it's hard to find anywhere else. But I think the return for him uh, in getting Hunter Renfro, who had a terrible second half of the season, I think mainly due to injury. I mean, if you look at what he did in the first half of the season for the Padres, I think the Rays expect a huge year from Renfro. In fact, all the Rays players seemingly are um, just praising his power ability and how hard he hits the ball. Plus he's a plus defender. That's kind of one of the knocks on Tommy Pham is he's sort of a little bit clunky and in slow footed in the outfield, although he's a very athletic player he's just not very he's just not a natural defender so he kind of he wasn't that great in that regard and he also I mean the thing with Tommy Pham is he also kind of did his own thing at times it seemed like especially on the base paths I mean he really ran into a lot of outs I mean there's a notorious game where um, he was thrown out at first to end a game in April against the Boston Red Sox plus um, you know, he's part of the 2020 club, but I also joke he's part of the 2020 club because he also grounded into more than 20 double plays, uh, most on the team. So, um, and he, he was just, again, where the Rays they don't want to pay $8 million for a player or, or multiple players. And that's what he was going to get in arbitration, which is just about what he got 7.9 million with the Padres. So I, I think the Rays made up for the loss of Tommy Pham in getting Hunter Renfro 
and in getting guys like Jose Martinez and Manny Margot and Randy Rosarina and signing Yoshi Sutsugo out of Japan. So I think they more than made up for whatever loss offensively they're getting from Tommy Pham while probably improving defensively in that regard. I mean, I, I said it at the time when the Rays made that trade that they're thinking five, 10, 15 steps ahead. That this, this is not the end of, that was the first kind of quote unquote blockbuster deal I guess, of the offseason or, or for the Rays. And we saw just move after move after that. And I think this really could be their best year offensively we've seen in a while. I wouldn't be surprised to see if this team breaks uh, their own home run record, which I can't remember the year. It was a couple years ago when uh, I think Logan Morrison had 35-plus home runs. But um, I think this this team has a good shot to be one of the best offensive teams ever that the Rays have put on that put out there and and you mix that in with uh everybody staying healthy on the pitching staff and I'm just saying look out I think this this team really could surprise some people I know that um Fangraphs believes there's only going to be a four win difference between them and the Yankees while Pakoda says it could be as much as a 12 win difference. And I think I I'm closer to the fan graphs projections where I think it's going to be almost neck and neck between the Rays and the Yankees when it's all said and done. So yeah, it, it stinks to lose a guy like Tommy Pham, especially he was one of the more veteran players on the team, but I think they did more than enough to, to add up and make up for his departure. If that makes sense. Well, I got I got two things left for you about the Rays, and and the first one will be quickly. I just have to give a shout out to my favorite Ray uh, as a University of Maryland guy. Um, seeing Brandon Lau make it to the big leagues a couple years ago was fantastic, and then seeing him sign an extension was even better. Um, just I wanted you to quickly give give your thoughts on Lau, just uh, so I could be happy about Brandon Lau being a big leaguer, and then and then past that. You know, what's not only the expectation among Rays fans for this year and and getting back to the playoffs, but I believe it, there was the article a couple days ago or a couple weeks ago about, you know, opposing GM saying they think the Rays are going to win a World Series in the next five years. Do the fans back that sentiment as well? Yeah. Firstly, with Brandon Lau, I agree with you. I think he's awesome. I think what he does power-wise – for being such a smaller guy, I mean, he's they, they list him at 5'10 and 175. I'd probably guess more like 5'9, 165. And to be able to, I know he had that injury in college, which kind of sent him down draft boards a little bit, but he is one of the most fun players to watch because he's got so much power in such a, I guess, a small, non-prototypical power hitter body. Now, um, I know he strikes out a ton. In fact, uh, if he stays healthy for most of the year, I wouldn't be surprised to see him strike out 200 plus times. But outside of the strikeouts, he provides a huge power component, a huge uh, OPS component, and he's really worked to improve what he can do defensively. Uh, and he, you know, not only can play second base, but he also could be an option. Uh, in the corner outfield spots. And, and he's also one of the team's best base runners. And he just goes about his business low key. Um, he's just, I, I mean, I, I don't know if he's a fan favorite because he, I just don't know if people have really, I, I appreciate him more than I think um, other fans do. Um, I, I know there's some concern about him being able to stay healthy for an entire season and all that goes on with that. But um, he's just, 
I, I just think he's so fun to watch because he packs so much power in in his frame and i mean he's got one of the best nicknames too in bam bam i mean it, it can't be any better than that and to see him make an all-star game was huge was important and, and i think the big thing for him is can he he only played in 82 games last season can he extrapolate those numbers that he had in those 82 games and take them over to a 160 150 game season i mean then you're talking about 30 plus home runs and and all the other numbers that go along with that so i think a lot of people are expecting a lot this year from brandon lau if if he can stay healthy um secondly the expectations again i think that really expectations almost can't be any higher than they are right now because there's so much excitement in the Rays adding all the bats that they did. It, it, it's going to be very curious to see what they can get from Sutsugo. Uh, they, they utilize Jose Martinez as a DH type and, and against left-handed hitters. I mean, they're going to put all these guys uh, in a position to be successful. And we have to remember last year, the team was so injury depleted and for them to still win 96 games was almost a miracle. I mean, all the guys that went down, not just Brandon Lau, but Joey Wendell, Yandy Diaz, Kevin Kiermaier, although Kevin Kiermaier gets injured every year, but it, it, just about everybody got hurt at some point or form in that season. And, and if they can just say, stay relatively healthy, um, I think you're going to see, I mean, if we're talking over-unders, I would say probably 95 wins is is probably around that barrier around that mark is what you're looking at i know that last year um they might have had a couple of fluky wins and then they had 10 walk-off wins um i think that'll probably come down a little bit but i think overall they're they're quite a bit of a better team than last year and i think you're going to see a lot of bounce back in improvements on uh, on the numbers of guys had that guys had last year like Jose Alvarado it was basically a lost season from him but if he can return to his 2017 and 2018 form look out now um, as far as World Series I think that's a little bit pie in the sky for this year but I think next year maybe Wander Franco is available maybe uh, Randy Rosarina is fully developed uh, you know some of these other guys have another year under their belt and you can really start to see something special, but um, I, I don't want to say it's AL East or bust, but I think it's AL wild card or bust for sure this season. Yeah. This Rays team, you know, despite being a division rival, I feel like most of the sentiment around Orioles fans is, you know, that they, they don't like the Yankees. They don't like the Red Sox. The Blue Jays were okay until the two were kind of battling for the division a couple years ago. And, Jose Bautista uh, didn't get on the good side of Orioles fans, so don't really like the Blue Jays. I feel like by far the Orioles' favorite team in division is the Rays, at least among the O's fans, and they would love to see them take the AL East from the Yankees this year. I agree with you 100%. Rays fans also want to see the Rays take down the Yankees in the AL East. What's not to love? We're in Florida. We've got a low payroll. We find ways to to beat the big, big bad Yankees and the Red Sox, and we don't have to cheat to do it. I, I say that's that's a fair compromise right there. And all they need is one final thing: uh, a nice new stadium, and they'll be the perfect that team. That's a root whole for. another debate. Yeah, <laughs> we don't have time for that on this on this episode. Sadly, there's there's another one hour episode right there to uh, talk uh, about ballparks. Absolutely. So again, that was Kevin Weiss, the host of Locked On Rays, along with me. There, we did a little back and forth for. 
our first of four AL East crossover episodes here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Again, wanted to reiterate, we did that conversation back on March 5th, kind of pre-recording it for this week, so things sound a little out of date. Obviously, we didn't have any Trey Mancini news yet, and and nothing had happened really uh, surrounding coronavirus and cancellation of sports yet. So neither of those things made it into the conversation, but still a good convo about the Orioles and the Rays and, and what to look forward to when at some point this 2020 season does get started. Uh, tomorrow will be the Orioles-Yankees crossover episode, so look for that right here on Locked On Orioles. And again, remember, our greatest Oriole of all time bracket continues today as we put out four more matchups on Twitter today as we went over to the right side of the bracket, the four matchups we have going on today. The one seed Brooks Robinson against the 16 Jim Johnson, eight seed Scott McGregor against nine seed Steve Barber, five seed Melvin Mora against 12 Storm Davis, and four seed Dave McNally against 13 Eric Bedard. Remember to go to at Locked on Orioles on Twitter to cast your vote for those brackets as it continues to come out throughout the coming weeks. So we hope you enjoyed what you heard here on this crossover episode. If you can, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you are listening right now. This has been the Locked On Orioles Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On Podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. 